Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. I feel like I should give the altar call. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I will. Today I have one sole purpose. It's to proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ as evidenced by the testimony that was given today. I will ask you to make a decision before you leave this place. Today you will have the opportunity to hear the gospel and you will be responsible for your response to the gospel. Once you leave this door, there's no promise you'll ever hear the gospel again. If you're in this place... And you do not know the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. And you cannot say that through difficult times he has been your leader, your leader, your guide. He has not led you beside still waters. You cannot place a, a, a person in your life of Jesus Christ that has led and guided you because you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Today you will have the opportunity to hear about the Savior. When you step outside of these doors, you'll be eternally responsible for what you did with it. Eternally. You either wind up in a place called heaven because you responded appropriately accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you'll wind up in a place called hell, not because God sent you there, but because you chose that as your destiny. Understand me. God wants you to receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. If you choose this day to deny that, your destiny is a place called hell. There may never be another opportunity for you to ever hear the gospel. I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you that because I love you. And in case you couldn't hear from the message that was just given from a letter written, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I never know if I get to lay eyes on you again to tell you about this Jesus, but I do know today I do. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to ask you to make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus. I'm also going to ask you to make a decision, if you know this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, of how your life demonstrates that to people in need, as we heard this morning, who need to know this man, Jesus. For no matter the problem in your life, I have the answer. His name is Jesus. And what we do with this man, Jesus, in our life tells the world who Jesus is. Are we walking in love in such a way that the world sees this Jesus and desires a relationship with him? That is another decision I will ask you to make. The third decision I will ask you to make today Maybe you're in this place. Maybe you want to be a part of a fellowship, a body of Christ that loves each other and cares dearly for each other and the lost around us. Maybe today you don't have a church home. Today I'd love for you to be a part of our church home, not to add to the numbers on our roll. I could care less. What I know is that God has given you a gift and a talent that needs to be used in a place. If you don't have a place for the gift and the talent, you're robbing God and you're sinning against God. I would love for you to be a part of our church because without your gift and talent, it will not be complete. It will not be what it can be for the glory of God. So there is your invitation. How are we going to get to the place of decision? We're going to do it by going to God's Word. So this morning, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Stand with me quickly. We're going to try our best to be finished early today so we can get set up for the funeral this afternoon. So stand with me as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you had is fitting for saints 
neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks for this you know that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not be partakers with them Father, this morning we have heard you glorified through our singing. We have glorified you, Father, through our fellowship. We have glorified you through working and and understanding your word in our Sunday school classrooms. Father, this morning we have glorified you through the speaking of what you have done in the lives of, of one family and multiple families here as a testimony for you was given this morning. Now I ask that you take all of those experiences, all those things this morning, and you focus those on one thing. You and your word this morning. Let your word come alive in our heart that we may leave this place changed. Changed forever. Father, to walk in love for you. Make very, very little of me today and very much of yourself. That you may be honored and glorified in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been talking about the the walk of love. And if you remember, as we went through the first three chapters of Ephesians, looking at the theology, we moved to chapter four. Paul started off in chapter four saying, you are to walk the worthy walk. Then when he moved into chapter five, he says that worthy walk is a walk of love. If you remember, you heard it mentioned in the testimony this morning that to walk worthily in the sight of God, you are to walk in love. And, And he started off there in that fifth chapter and he made really just a couple of three points. The first point that we looked at was the request to walk in love where he says be imitators of God because you are his children from there he moved to the second point that we talked about last week which which was the response of walking in love where we are to walk in love just as Christ loved us and how did Christ love us he didn't just come down and wrap his arms around us and say hey you're okay everything's good I love you just continue as you are no Christ loved us with everything he was he loved us mainly and mostly by the fact that he forgave us when it says that, that God sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for your sins, he, he did it out of love because he loved you so much and he loved you enough that he sent his only son to forgive you. So that walk of love started with the forgiveness, but it didn't end there. Christ not only forgave us through his death at the cross, but he did it unconditionally. See, church, we've got to understand there's not a thing that you owe God. You don't owe him a thing for Christ dying upon a cross. You can't buy that salvation. He crawled upon a cross because he loved you and he wanted to. If you remember, the Bible tells us he crawled upon a cross and died for us while we were yet sinners. As a sinner, what do I have to give to God? Nothing. It's coming to the table empty-handed. It's coming to the cross, a filthy, wretched sinner that hates God because I sinned against him and exchanging that life for the glorious life of Christ. That's what Christ did on the cross, unconditionally. There's not a thing you can do, not enough church attendance, not enough giving, not enough good help for the poor people. There's not enough money you can give. There's not enough old women you can walk across the street to ever gain the favor of God. You do it one way. That's coming to him through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, realizing that you're a sinner in need of a savior. The savior was sent by God and it was in his son, Jesus Christ. He came to the earth. He lived 33 years to give you and I an example of what it meant to walk in love. Then he crawled upon a cross of his own free will, gave up his life of his own free will and said, it is finished. When he said it was finished, he took that wrath of sin that God had handed to him. He drank it all, slammed it down on the table and said, it is done. This never needs to be repeated. And he did it because he loved us. 
unconditionally. He did it because of his self-sacrifice. He literally gave up heaven for you and I. I would have to say, if God called upon me to step out of heaven and come back for you, you would be in trouble. You would be in trouble. Because I long to be in the presence of my God. That is where I want to be. Can you imagine? Jesus had been there all of his life. And God said, I need someone to go save them, give them forgiveness. And Jesus raised his hand and said, here I am, send me. He did it unconditionally in complete self-sacrifice. So that was the second point, responding in the walk of love as Christ had responded to us. The third point we're going to try to get through today is the fact that the result of walking in love is laid out by Paul. So he had given us the request of walking in love, the response of walking in love, and now we're going to look at this result of walking in love. You heard the testimony this morning of what comes out of a walk of love. Let's see what Paul had to say about it. What is the result of Christ church walking in the love of Christ? I thought about it and said there's a few things that come directly to mind. There's a few things. Number one, people hear the gospel. It's an obvious. The needs of people are met. That's an obvious. Lives, we hope, are changed for the good forever. But ultimately, the walk of love, walking as Christ loved us, is for one purpose. It's to bring God glory. See, because Christ said he didn't come to town across just for us. He came that God might be glorified. For he said, glorify yourself in, in me. When Christ came to die, he came to glorify his God. Every step we take, every word we say, every thought we have should be wrapped in the fact that it should be to glorify God. So how does this all come about? See, Paul takes the second half of this passage that we're going to look at this morning, and he gives us this result. He does it by bringing out to us those things we should not do in hopes that we understand what it is we should do. He starts off there in the seventh verse and actually gives you the idea that is wrapped up between verses 3 and 6. In that seventh verse, he says this, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. As I read that, I say, who is the them? Who is the them? Who is the them that we're not supposed to be partakers of? Well, the them is the ones that are ahead of the therefore. Remember that first word in verse 7. I always said, what is therefore, therefore, to tell you what came before. So if we're not to be partakers of them, we must look at what the therefore is. So Paul is saying to us, you know what? There's a certain group of folks that all all around you that you should not be like. Yet he goes through the list and gives us a positive of each of the groups of the people. So what is Paul telling us about the therefore? And how does our walk in love result in a change in our lives and the lives of those around us? That's the question of the day. He starts in the third verse. At the end of the third verse, he says this, Be fitting saints. Be fitting saints. Be that which you were made to be. Be that which God created you to be. When he saved you and made you a new creation. Paul tells us what we or what should never be said about us so that we know what not to do. In the King James Version, matter of fact, he says, But fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not 
even be once mentioned, once named among you. Not even once is this list ever to be named about one of his children, the saints. What is the first thing on the list? It says, but fornication. Fornication is the Greek word pernea, pernea. You may automatically, when I say that word, realize what English word we get out of it. The English word we get out of that pornea of the Greek is the word pornography. The very first thing that he throws on the list is sexual sin. <laughs> Any idea why? Read the newspaper lately? Have you looked at the world we live in lately? Have you seen what's going on? Have, have you watched an ad on TV? <laughs> you see, this is where we get our sexual sin words from, is the very first word in the list, this fornication. See, the news is just absolutely wrapped up with it, whether it's from rape to the sex trafficking that's come to light now to the prostitution, even in downtown Wilmington. They've been running stings up and down Market Street, picking them up left and right. It's not just a big town problem. But not only is there those things that we see about the rape and the sex trafficking and the, and the prostitution, but there's another thing that we think is hidden. And it goes on within our church. It goes on within our homes. It goes on within our businesses. And it's this little thing called pornography. It's hard now to even go on the Internet without something popping up that it's trying to get you to click or look at that's going to take you somewhere you should not go. You see, every day we're bombarded with it. We're bombarded with it in the TV ads. Who would have thought that it would have took sex to sell a redneck a pickup truck? Who would have thought? Who would have thought it would have took a sexy looking person to make you want to go to McDonald's and get a hamburger? But that's the way they address it now. Everything that comes at you, it seems like on TV in the form of an ad, is coming at you from the sexual side. Look at the movies that come out. You can't even take your kid to a PG movie anymore. It's going to be where you can't take them to a G movie. It's going to be best you just stay home and read the Bible to them. That's what you need to do. But it's getting to the place that there's not a movie that comes out. There's not something put in it to draw people who are turned on or attracted to that sort of thing. Look at the TV shows. Look at the TV shows themselves. You can't turn on regular WWAY TV and watch it without there being cussing and sexual scenes all in it. Look at the books that have come out. Remember the something about, what was it, different shades of gray or some kind of color of gray or something. Some book everybody was blowing up about. It was just pornography and words is all it was. And they were selling millions of copies. See, sexual sin has not only perverted the world, but fornication lives within the walls of this building also. Don't think the church is immune. Remember who Paul's writing to. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to you, the church, to me, the pastor, the church. We hear about the priests and their sexual sins. That went on for a while. Now, if you happen to be reading the newspaper just this week, one of our devout uh, pastors out of Leland was picked up for abuse just this week. It's hardly a month goes by that you don't hear about it happening within the church. Help me out. How does walking like Christ and pornography within the church go together? Where does it fit? Yet it happens. If we deny it, we're lying to ourselves. 
We are absolutely lying to ourselves. We hear about pastors having an affair. We look at the church and the divorce rate. Do you realize the divorce rate it either matches or is higher within the church than it is in the world? Love? Forgiveness? Divorce rate's higher? Does it fit in your puzzle? Somewhere I got the wrong piece in mind. Because I'll be quite honest with you, if I love you and I'm called to forgive you, how am I going to fall out of love with you and divorce you? God had every right in the world to divorce me. He didn't chose to love me anyway. If I married you and I said, I'm going to stay with you forever, yet there's some things maybe that I need that you're not giving me, so I'm going to step out and find it in another woman? I'm supposed to love you? I'm supposed to forgive you, yet when you don't meet my need, I go find it somewhere else? Excuse me? I don't think that fits in the puzzle. You see, we tend to look at these things and go, yeah, boy, that world's awful. No, look inside the walls. Take time to look inside the church. I got good news for you. If you fall into any of those categories, there is a God, my God, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die upon a cross to forgive you of your sins, to draw you into the family, and he has promised to continue to forgive you for all the sins that you commit from that day forward also. If you have sinned, if you have done that, if you happen to be wrapped up in that, there is a way to fix it. It's not a filter on your TV. It's not a filter on your internet. It's not marriage counseling. You know what it is? It's being honest with God and saying, I've done it. I know it's a sin. I ask for your forgiveness instead of your wrath. And you know what I know about my God? If you come to him in true repentance, he will wash that slate clean. There's not a one of those things I just mentioned that will keep you from a place called heaven if you address it with God. So don't let me make you think that you have lost your salvation because that has happened. That is not the point. The point is it can't go on happening. For it to continue to happen means you don't love God. Because the Bible says that to walk in those things is proof positive you don't love God. Go read 1 John. What a beautiful book. But Paul says, don't let it ever, don't let it ever, 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 not even once be said about God's children. So fornication is the first thing. The second thing that we see there, he says, all uncleanness. This is another one of those Greek words that is translated in very uh, different ways in, in very many places. But the abundance of times that this Greek word is translated, the word that comes out in English is actually impurity. Impurity. I think that fits a little better than uncleanness to me because when I think about uncleanness, I think about somebody who hadn't had a bath lately or somebody who hadn't. When I think about impurity, I think about that gold that's been made that should be 100% pure, yet within it there are these things that keeps it from being the best that it can be. And what Paul is saying is don't allow those little pieces of impurity into what God has created that will make you less than you should be. Paul points out the impure life of the world, helping us recognize the fact that our life could become impure also. How does it show up? Look at the business dealings that go on around us. Look at the things that happen in government. Look at the murder rate around us. Look at the domestic abuse. Look at the number of women who fear for their life at night when they go to bed because of the way their husband treats them. Look at the lying, the cheating, the stealing that goes on around us. What happens when your life becomes impure? It starts gushing out these things of impurity. He's warning us. He's saying, don't allow that to happen. A matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 7 he says this. For God did not call us to uncleanness or did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. What is the opposite of that impure world? Holiness. See, God has called us to be holy. Just as it was written in 1 Peter 1.16, he says, be holy. Why? <laughs> because I, your God, am holy. Go look where that comes from in Leviticus. It's six, seven, eight times that God says, you be holy because you're mine and I am holy. What Paul is saying to us is that we should not have fornication. We should not have that, that impurity, that uncleanness in our lives. But he also says we should not have covetousness. Paul tells us basically, stop being greedy. Stop being greedy. Fortunately, our church is a very giving church, but I have heard and been a part of ones where... Anytime it was brought up to help someone, the first thing that was said was, I don't know what they're going to use it for. I shouldn't give it to them. Let me give you some news. There's not a thing this church has or that you have that God didn't supply. He gave it to you to use. He didn't give it to you to judge how the person was going to use it. If God laid it upon our heart to meet the needs of a family, it's God's job. To either bless them with how they use it or to curse them with how they use it. Because it's God's money. The time that he has given us in our life. He has given us time on this earth as Puck said earlier. I I'm here God. I don't know why but you've got something planned for me. A great theological statement. Why? Because it fits every one of us. Anybody in this place that has come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and is still drawing a breath. God is not through using you yet. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're drawing a breath, be thankful you still are. you still got time. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're still drawing a breath on this earth, you had better be working for God. To not work for God, to not give money for God, makes you a coveter of that thing which you're not willing to give to God. So, the first point was to be a fitting saint. To be a fitting saint, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness needs to go away. The second point he makes in verse 4. At the end of verse 4, he says this, but rather giving thanks. So, he said we're to be fitting saints, but we're to also be thankful saints. To be thankful saints. This is one I think we all can work on. It's so easy. It's so easy. To see the things that we don't have, we wish we had. It is so easy to think, if I only had this, life would be so much better. But what is Paul saying? He's saying, take a look. Take a look at what you do have. Take a look at what God has blessed you with already. I don't think there's a single one of us in this place that can say God's been bad to us. I woke up this morning. I got in the shower, I turned the knob, it came out warm. Water came out and it was warm. You know, there are people all over the world right now that can't turn a knob to get water. It comes out of nowhere and it's as cold as the outside temperature because it's in a bucket somewhere. And the only way that they can get that luxury that we say, well, that's our right to have, no, it's not your right. 
God gave you that this morning. How many of you walked to church this morning? Anybody? See, I left the house to get here about 8.30 or so. I left the house about 8 o'clock. If I would wanted to be here at 8.30 or so and I didn't have the luxury of the vehicle that God supplied for me, I'd have probably had to leave last night. There's not a one of you that walked to church this morning. Thank God God gave us clothes, huh? <laughs> this sermon would go a whole different direction if I was preaching it without those now, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, we, we laugh, but think about it. Think about all the things that God has given us that there is a 80 to 90% of the world would kill for. Yet we want to ask God for more and more things. Paul's saying, it's okay to ask, but you need to be thankful. See, he moves from the actions of covetousness and, and un, uncleanness and, and pornography and fornication. And he jumps over here to this other side that deals with one of the smallest parts of your body that has the biggest impact on you and the world around you. You want to know what it is? It's your tongue. He just took all of your body and explained it in the first three points. Now he moves over to your tongue. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where most of the church gets mad with the pastor. The flip with the James chapter 3. James chapter 3, you know this passage. I had said I was going to be through early today, and I told a story. Asked me to repent at the end of the service. James chapter 3, verse number 1 reads like this. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths so that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships, although they are so large, they're driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature and is, is set on fire by hell. <laughs> oh, you can't get much more direct than this. It goes on to verse 7 to say, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Do you see the picture he's painting? <laughs> He goes on to say, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of the, or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear frig, figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Notice what James said. James gave us the example of a great big horse with a very small bit in its mouth being directed. He gave us a picture of a great big ship with fierce winds being driven by the small rudder underneath. He gave us a picture of a great big forest that starts with a little bitty spark. And then he says to us, the spark is your tongue. Your tongue is that same spark. And what drives the fire in your tongue? He holds no punches. Hell. If out of your mouth comes fire, your tongue is driven by 
hell. He told us, Paul said we are to be thankful. Connect the dots on that James passage and to be thankful. To be anything other than thankful, you're running the risk of your tongue being driven by hell. I don't know if that brings you shudders, but it sure does me. See, Paul goes on to say there in Ephesians 5, we're not to speak in the manner of the world. What's the list he gives us there? Start at the beginning of verse 4. Filthiness is the first thing. What is filthiness? That's those dirty jokes, guys. That's that suggestive language when a lady walks by and you say something to the guy next to you about how well God put her together. It doesn't matter if you throw God's name in the middle of it. It's still filthy. He goes, it's those crude comments. Those things that we say about others, that's that filthiness. He doesn't stop there. He goes on in, in the next part of that fourth verse. He says there, neither uh, filthiness nor foolish talking. What is foolish talking? Foolish talking? It's quite literally those words that we say that mean absolutely nothing. What words am I talking about? That flamboyant language we call cussing. Think about the 90% of the cuss words you hear people say. They don't mean a thing. They have no use whatsoever. They're foolish. Yet, you know, I hear those within the body of the church also. It's not only the cussing, it's the useless words. Sometimes we like to just throw out words to make ourselves look big and good. But most importantly, I think it's those lies. Those foolish talking words are the lies we tell to make ourselves look good. Stretch the truth just a little bit. He doesn't stop there. He says, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. <laughs> Boy, this one will get you in trouble. What's coarse jesting? Put it in one simple phrase as being funny at someone else's expense. It's saying things that hurt people. It's saying things that may have a sense of truth in them and may not. But you do it at another person's expense. That coarse jesting is not taking into consideration that what comes out of your mouth has an impact on the person that you're saying it about or to. So he's saying, stop that. Paul says, none of this is fitting of a child of God. He says, we should speak of the thankfulness that we have in God. And what is there to be thankful for? Number one, that he saved us through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. If you don't have anything else this day to be thankful for, I hope you have that to be thankful for. Another thing that comes to my mind, his protection. Think about where we would be if God removed his hand of protection from us. Think about our country, where it would be. I think about the fact that I can be thankful that God has never left me or forsaken me. There's been times in my life I have felt awful lonely. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's one who's never left. That's my God. I can be thankful when I wake up in the morning that God is there. I can be thankful when I go to bed at night that God is there. I can be thankful that while I sleep, he watches over me. I can be most thankful for the fact that he continues to forgive me of my sins. For every day, there is something in my life that I need to come to him with and say, God, I can't believe I did this again, but I sinned against you. And God tells me in his word, he's standing there waiting for me to come to him with it. And he says, my son, you've been forgiven. What if our walk of love looked like that towards others? What if when someone come to us and they said, you know what? I'm sorry I did this. You said, I know you've already been forgiven. How much different would the world look? 
How much different would the world look if forgiveness is what we offer, not retribution, when something was done against us? It's what Paul is saying to us. He's saying that we should be thankful, and that thankfulness should come out in our lives to others. And with that, we're going to save the other two points for next week. Let me, I extended the invitation at the beginning, so let me tell you what it is within the Word of God that should make you react and respond to the invitation. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, there's one thing I know most definitely about your life. It is not a life filled with love. There can be those around you that you think love you, but... I think if you dug down really deep, you would find out that they're using you for whatever they can get. I've just described them to you in the first two points of verses 3 through 7. I think if you're really honest with yourself, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's pain in your life that does not seem to go away because you feel like there's no one there. Those are all grand reasons to come to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But it's not the most important reason. The situation in your life is a grand reason to come to Jesus to have fixed, but it is not an everlasting reason. To know there's a situation right now you need God to work in and you come and fall on your face before him and ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior so that situation is fixed is using God as an eternal slot machine, which he is not. (laughs) You don't walk up to him like a Pepsi machine and put in a quarter and spit out the drink because you're thirsty. Those are all not reasons. To come to Jesus. There was one reason to come to Jesus. It's because as I read that list, I was describing you. And when I read that list, you said, you know what? Those things could be written in my biography. And you know those things are still happening in your life today. You see, all those problems that you have are manifests of those situations in your life, those things in your life where you are not being godly because you don't know God as your Lord and Savior. If this morning I described you and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's never been a time that you've come to Him and said, God, you know what? There is pornography in my life. Yes, I do like to look at it on the computer. Yes, Father, I have mistreated my wife. Yes, there has been an affair. Yes, there has been this in my life. Yes, there's been all these things in my life. Father, I I come and say, yes, I did that. And I no longer want to do that. That's repentance. It's it's not coming and saying, God, I'll, I'll do anything you want if you'll fix this situation in my life. That's not repentance. Repentance is coming and falling on your face before God and saying, God, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm going to confess it because you tell me to, and these are the things. That pastor this morning was reading from the book of my life. And I no longer want to be that way. I want to come to know Jesus Christ so that I can walk in love, so that I can be an example of God's love to others in this world, so that I can have Him as my Savior, and I can have you as my Father, and I can spend eternal life with you in heaven forever. That's the only reason that you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus because you want to fall in love with Jesus. What does it look like to fall in love with Jesus? You give up those things we talked about, not because you want to give them up, but because you love Jesus more than them. If this morning you can't say that you love Jesus more than those things, I would come meet that Jesus, for you don't know him as your Lord and Savior.
Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.